Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Cindy Gallup. Cindy is the founder and CEO of Make Love Not Porn, launched at TED in 2009. Pro-sex, pro-porn, and pro-knowing the difference. In 2013, she turned Make Love Not Porn into the world's first user-generated, human-curated social sex video-sharing platform, makelovenotporn.tv, socializing and normalizing sex in order to make it easier to talk about, to promote consent, communication, good sexual values, and good sexual behavior. Make Love Not Porn is spearheading the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part isn't the sex, but the social. Given the challenges Cindy has faced finding investors, she is raising the world's first dedicated sex tech fund, All the Sky Holdings. She speaks at conferences globally and consults, describing her approach as I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. We cover a lot of ground in this interview. Cindy talks to us about Make Love Not Porn and the journey she's been on as a female founder in an entirely new category, i.e. sex tech. We talk about why the next big thing in tech is disrupting sex. And she explains why founders from underrepresented groups are uniquely able to design and build safe spaces on the web. We talk about Cindy's experience in fundraising for her startup, what she looks for in her investors, why we need more women to back female and underrepresented founders. And Cindy talks to us about her vision for creating and launching her 200 million sex tech fund. Cindy is a pioneer in every respect that I can think of, as well as building the Facebook of social sex. In my view, Cindy is truly changing the world around her. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Please note, this podcast interview contains adult themes with occasional swearing. Cindy, welcome to the Purse Podcast. Delighted to be here. I'd like to start off by asking you, first of all, about the fact that you describe yourself as the Michael Bay of business. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So the way that came about was many years ago, I was in a meeting with some potential consultancy clients, talking to them about what I do. And I explained to them that I consult very selectively, only with clients and brands who want to change the game in their particular sector. So you come to me for radical, innovative, groundbreaking, transformative. I don't do status quo. And I said lightheartedly, I like to blow shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. And everyone laughed. And I left the meeting, I thought, actually, that's a pretty good way of summing up what I do. And so I've been using that as my, you know, social media bio and personal tagline ever since. And there's a specific reason I do that, because that catchphrase isn't just a bit of creativity, a bit of whimsy, a bit of fun. I do that very deliberately, because when I characterize what I do in that way, it attracts to me the people who want what I do. It repels the ones who don't. And I'm really happy to repel the ones who don't because they're a waste of time, effort, and money. And so essentially, I'm a great believer in be your own filter. And I encourage people to do the same thing, to have a summation of who you are, what you stand for, what you do, that means that you attract you the people who want that and you repel the ones who don't. And you have so many great quotes as well. One of my favorites, and it's on Twitter, is women challenge the status quo because we are never it. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think the very first time I said that publicly was something like eight years ago in a talk that I gave at the Guardian Media Summit in London on redesigning the business of advertising. But just um, very simply, it's all in what I say. Women challenge the status quo because we are never it. We aren't. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done there, obviously. And that's part of what you do, Cindy. And so I want to move on to talk about your startup called Make Love Not Porn, which is a social sex platform. And you're not just breaking into a very old 
and male-dominated industry, but you're essentially redefining this space, right? You're creating an entirely new category or even industry. What's that like? So just for our listeners, Make Love Not Porn is pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. And the male-dominated industry I am breaking into is social media because Make Love Not Porn is designed to be the Facebook of social sex. We are essentially pioneering this whole new category on the internet that never before existed with the aim of socialising and normalising everything around sex in the real world to make it easier for everyone to talk about, to promote consent, communication, good sexual values and good sexual behaviour. And I can tell you that pioneering social sex on the internet is fucking difficult. I and my tiny team fight a huge battle every single day to build this business, essentially because every piece of business infrastructure, any other tech startup gets to take for granted. We can't. The small print always says no adult content. And that is all pervasive across every single area of the business in ways that people outside the sphere do not realize. I can't get funded. I can't get banked. It took me four years to find one bank here in America that would allow me to open a business bank account for Make Love Not Porn. Our biggest operational challenge is payments. PayPal won't work with adult content. Stripe can't. Every single tech service we need to use to operate our video sharing platform be it hosting, encoding, encrypting, the TOS always say no adult content. In every case, I have to go to the people at the top of the company, explain what I'm doing, beg to be allowed to use their service. Sometimes they let me, sometimes I don't. It's a very labor-intensive process. We had to build our entire original video sharing platform from scratch ourselves as proprietary technology because existing streaming services will not stream adult content. I'm so jealous of friends who built video startups on top of Vimeo. Quick, easy, simple. I can't do that. Even something as simple as sending out um, membership emails out. MailChimp won't work with adult content. We rejected by six or seven email partners till we found SendGrid who would. A couple of years ago, I put a completely standard UX designer job description up on Upwork. 20 minutes later, Upwork took it down, told us we were not allowed to advertise jobs on Upwork because we're Make Love Not Born. Every single thing is an enormous battle. Wow. And what keeps you going, Cindy? Well, two things keep me going. The first is that the dynamic that most ensures that I will persevere through anything is the one I characterize as, I'm going to fucking well show you. You tell me it can't be done, I'm going to fucking well show you. You put an obstacle path, I'm going to fucking well show you. So I have to take all of that um, you know, infuriating, um, you know, demoralization, depression. I have to turn it all into motivation, inspiration every day. But the second thing that keeps me going is the fact that at Make Love Not Porn, our members and our contributors, and we call our Make Love Not Porn stars because we're entirely user-generated, they write to us every day and tell us how we've changed their lives. Because as an utterly unique venture, Make Love Not Porn has an utterly unique capability we have the power to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior for the better. And in fact, this is why I sum up Make Love Not Porn as, in many ways, telehealth for your sex life. Because couples write and say, you saved our marriage, you saved our relationship, we hadn't had sex in years. Because we're social sex, it's okay for one half of the couple to say to the other, ooh, I came across this thing called Make Love Not Porn. Why don't we watch it together? Then they write and go, come on, best sex since our wedding night. But also, you know, what amazes me is not only how well Make Love Not Porn does what I design it to do, but how well it does things that I never consciously designed it to do. So we hear from survivors of rape, sexual abuse, sexual assault, who tell us that Make Love Not Porn helped them reclaim their bodies, help them recover their sexuality. We hear from cancer survivors who say the same thing. We have a Make Love Not Porn baby. A couple wrote to us and said... We've been trying for a kid for ages. We just got back from the doctor. The scan proved what we suspected. Our child was conceived the night that we watched this particular video on Make Love Not Porn. They said, we're not going to say we couldn't have done it without you, but you really helped. And so what keeps me going is seeing every day 
the extraordinary impact that Make Love Not Porn is having on so many people's lives, even in our underfunded bootstrapping scenario. Imagine that impact at the same scale as Facebook globally. Make Love Not Porn has one single-minded mission. We call ourselves the social sex revolution. The revolutionary part is not the sex, it's the social. Because we exist to, to achieve one thing only, to help make it easier for every single person in the world to talk openly and honestly about sex. And to do that in two respects, A, in the public domain, and by that I mean parents to children, teachers to schools, everyone to everyone, but B, and even more importantly, to talk about sex openly and honestly, privately, in your intimate relationships. And the reason that's so key is because, because we don't talk about sex, it is an area of rampant insecurity for every single one of us. We all get vulnerable when we get naked. Sexual ego is very fragile. People therefore find it bizarrely difficult to talk about sex with the people they're actually having it with while they're actually having it. Because in that situation, you're terrified that if you say anything at all about what is going on, if you comment on the action anyway at all, you will potentially hurt the other person's feelings, you will put them off you, you will derail the encounter, you'll potentially derail the entire relationship, but at the same time, you want to please your partner. You want to make them happy. Everybody wants to be good in bed. Nobody knows exactly what that means. And so you will seize your cues on how to do that from anywhere you can. And all too often, the only cues you've ever seen are in porn, because your parents didn't talk to you about sex, because your school didn't teach you, because your friends aren't honest. And those are the cues you're going to take to not very good effect. As I discovered, because Make Love Not Porn, you know, was born out of my personal experience dating younger men. And, you know, encountering for myself very directly that when we don't talk about sex in the real world, porn becomes sex education by default in not a good way. And so we are socialising and normalising real world sex and make love, not porn. We're bringing it all out into the open, shining the sunshine on it. And, you know, if porn is the Hollywood movie, we're the real world documentary. We are a badly needed window onto the wonderful, glorious, messy, ridiculous, comical, awkward, fabulous ways we all have sex in the real world. And the reason that that is so important and why I say we have this unique ability to change people's sexual attitudes and behavior is because you know, one of the reasons I designed Make Love Not Porn as a video sharing platform is because the number one use case for YouTube globally is how-to videos. It far outstrips YouTube's second biggest use case, which is entertainment. First and foremost, people around the world go to YouTube to watch how-to videos on anything and everything. I designed Make Love Not Porn to be the global go-to hub for how-to videos on anything and everything to do with real-world sex. And that is especially important because when I say that we exist for this very simple reason, to make it easier to talk about sex... Because we don't do that, people don't get how massively, profoundly society transformative that would be. And that's because I designed Make Love Not Porn around my own beliefs and philosophies, one of which is that everything in life starts with you and your values. So I regularly ask people this question, what are your sexual values? And nobody can ever answer me because we're not taught to think like that. Our parents bring us up to have good manners, work ethic sense of responsibility, accountability. Nobody ever brings us up to behave well in bed, but they should. Because in bed, values like empathy, sensitivity, generosity, kindness, honesty, respect are as important as those values are in every other area of our lives where we're actively taught to exercise them. And so this is my vision for a world in which Make Love Not Porn achieves its social mission at scale as the Facebook of social sex. Parents will bring their children up openly to have good sexual values and good sexual behavior in the same way that they currently bring kids up to have good values of behavior in every other area of life. We will therefore cease to bring up rapists because the only way that we end rape culture is by inculcating in society and openly 
talked about, understood, promoted, and very importantly, aspired to gold standard of what constitutes good sexual values and good sexual behavior. When we do that, we also end Me Too. We end sexual harassment, abuse, violence, all areas where the perpetrators currently rely on the fact that we do not talk about sex to ensure victims will never speak up, never go to authorities, never tell anybody. When we end that, we massively empower women and girls worldwide. When we do that, we create a far happier world for everybody, including men. And when we do that, we are one step closer to world peace. I talk about make love not porn as my attempt to read about world peace, and I'm not joking. One of the biggest obstacles when building a business which challenges the status quo, which is obviously exactly what you're doing, is that you clash with what people believe to be true and what is acceptable. And we know female founders who are building disruptive businesses like yours in sex tech, for example, and pitching to mostly white male investors of a certain age, they have to deal with that on a daily basis. So how do you get investors to change their mind or how do you get them to become far more open-minded? So first of all, I have been parallel pathing two things for the past 11 years, building my startup and at the same time working to change the cultural context around it. Because when I realized the battle that I would have to fight to build and keep this venture alive, I realized that I would have to do what I tell other entrepreneurs to do, which is when you have a truly world-changing startup, you have to change the world to fit it, not the other way around. And so what I did, I like to say that I got into the Steve Jobs business of reality distortion, because if reality told me that I couldn't grow Make Love Not Porn and get it funded the way I wanted to, I'm going to change reality. And what I mean by that is that I start way further back than, you know, how do you pitch to somebody? I set out deliberately years ago to define, pioneer and champion my own category, sex tech. So I literally wrote the definition of sex tech. If you Google sex tech, I'm result one on page one. And sex tech, by the way, is any form of technology or tech venture designed to innovate, disrupt and enhance in any area of human sexuality and human sexual experience. I coined the hashtag sex tech. I didn't invent the term, but I'm directly responsible for propagating the hashtag as widely as it is used today. And I began speaking at tech conferences all around the world on why the next big thing in tech is disrupting sex. Because I thought at base level, if I just say this loudly enough, often enough in enough places, people will start to believe it. I did all of that to legitimize my own category, to create a climate of receptivity amongst investors in order to get my startup funded. So, you know, I would say to anyone listening to this, first of all, that's what you have to do. Change the world to fit you, not the other way around. Then, to be frank, I'm not pitching white male VCs because I can't even get across the threshold. And that's no bad thing. Because as entrepreneurs, we don't need to have any more thoroughly depressing meetings than we absolutely have to have. And it's no bad thing that Make Love Not Porn, again, I go back to my philosophy of be your own filter. You know, Make Love Not Porn investors self-select. And so I don't have to go through the soul-destroying experience of pitching people who are going to tell me everything that's wrong with my venture. The approach that I take, and by the way, it's worth pointing out that even within sex tech, there is what I call a hierarchy of acceptability. So at one end of that hierarchy are sex toys, D2C sex-related products like lubes and condoms and so on. And today, that category is very familiar. It's now a known thing. And so that end of the hierarchy finds it a lot easier to get funded. Moving up the hierarchy, also a burgeoning sector is audio erotica and audio porn. And that is also getting funded because that's more acceptable because you don't have to see anything. You just listen. You know, Make Love Not Porn operates right out on the extreme end of that. Oh, my God, people are having sex with video. <laughs> so essentially, you know, my biggest obstacle raising funding is the social dynamic that I call fear of what other people will think. Because it's never about what the person I'm talking to thinks. When you understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, make love not porn, nobody can argue with it. The business case is clear. 
it's always their fear of what they think other people will think, which operates around sex, unlike any other area. And, you know, that obstacle means that I know my investors are out there. They are impossible to find by the usual means. Because sex is the one area where you cannot tell from the outside what anybody thinks on the inside. My investors have one thing in common. Your willingness to fund Make Love Not Porn is entirely a function of your personal sexual journey. It's a function of your personal lens on sex and sexuality shaped by your own experience. And there is no way to research for that. And so what I do is I put what I'm doing out there all the time, you know, via podcast interviews like this, you know, in the media, et cetera, because I have to rely on those synaptic connections being made that will draw those people to me. And I'm happy to say that this process does work, although it's rather longer and more painful than it would be if I could go, oh, yes, so so so-and-so has publicly said they want to invest in my sector. So as I have a portfolio investments, it indicates very clearly the interest line with what I'm doing, which is what founders of more conventional ventures can do. And to be frank, if you talk to other female sex tech founders, depending on the nature of their venture, their experiences are similar because it is, it's really hard to find those investors in the first place. And can you share what your due diligence process is when you do find somebody who is interested in investing What's your selection criteria? What's the process you go through to say, yes, you're an investor I want in my startup? So first of all, the very fact that they want to talk to me about Make Love Not Porn is you know, a big tick in their favor because anybody who at least wants to have the conversation, that's a really good sign. Then it's really about, do you share my vision? Do you see the potential? in Make Love Not Porn, and how it absolutely has the ability to become a billion-dollar venture and a unicorn. Because, you know, the interesting thing, too, is that sex more than any other area proves the truth that's saying, we do not see things as they are, we see things as we are. And so some people I talk to have their lens shaped by what they see of the porn industry, and we are not porn, and so it's very important that they understand that. And actually, here's the real filter This is the investor side of something I say to founders all the time, which is absolutely key. So the most important piece of advice that I have to give to other sex tech founders is take yourself out of the shadows. And what I mean by that is people working in sex tech or sex-related areas often unconsciously internalize without even realizing they're doing it society's disapproval of what they're doing in a way that then impacts their ability to do the kind of business they want. So an example is many years ago, a young woman came to me with a sex tech startup. And there are obviously many, many of these now, but at the time she wanted to redesign sex toys, make them cool, sell them online. So she was talking me through her startup and she went, and the thing is, Cindy, people are really embarrassed to be seen buying sex toys. So we're going to package them very discreet like this. And I said to her, hold it right there. You need to go right back to the beginning and reconcept your startup from the ground up. Because you need not to say to me, people are embarrassed to be seen buying sex toys. You just to say to me, we're going to make people not embarrassed to be seen buying sex toys. When you concept and design a venture around existing societal bias and prejudice, all you do is reinforce it. I refuse to bow to existing bias and prejudice. I'm out to change it. And so what concerns me is when a potential investor goes, well, you know, have you thought of changing your name? Take the word porn out of it. Or have you thought about, you know, making it look like you're doing something else? Because then I know that they don't share my vision, which is, as I said, we are social. We are loud and proud. We are normalizing all of this. And, you know, what's really important about point number porn is not just what we do, but the way that we do it. And I feel this especially strongly because I have, you know, a number of friends whom I won't name because I'm very sympathetic to their situation. But these are sex tech founders who, in order to get funding, have completely watered down and blandified and pivoted their ventures, changed their brand names from something really impactful to something not, 
euphemize their website. So it's really hard to tell exactly what they're selling. And really great ideas have been lost in the process. And so for me, that's a red flag. If it's, oh, what you're doing, Cindy, is great, but can we kind of make it more discreet? Can we change the name, et cetera, et cetera? That's a very dangerous thing to say to an entrepreneur. And I think, Cindy, just listening to you there, you need the equivalent of you on the investor side. They need to be as forward-thinking and as challenging of the default worldview as you are. You know, you need to share the same values and not be afraid because that's essentially what you're about. You're not afraid. Absolutely. And in fact, you know, in this context, I often remember years ago, I was booked because I have to support myself alongside Make Love Not Porn. Um, I do paid speaking and consulting. And I was booked to open an entertainment conference in L.A. interviewing Larry Flint, the founder of Hustler. And Larry and I were in the green room before the conference started. I was running through the list of questions I was going to ask him. And one of my questions was going to be, Larry, you pioneered in an industry where nobody is ever encouraged to pioneer. And I was going to go on and ask him, you know, what would you say to entrepreneurs today to encourage them to do the same thing? But he interrupted me, stopped me, and he went, you know, I never thought of myself as a pioneer because I just didn't think I was doing anything wrong. That's fantastic. I love that. That is the attitude. And, and to your point, that is exactly what I want from the right kind of investor. We're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. It's not about you changing anything, Cindy. And actually, just on that, the thing I do hear occasionally from very well-meaning people is, have you thought about changing the name? so it doesn't have the word porn in it. And can I just say, by the way, how ironic it is that we are literally called Make Love Not Porn, and yet we run into all the challenges that porn does. And my response to that is absolutely not. And it's partly because of what I've just talked about, which is, no, I'm not going to hide what I do. And incidentally, at a practical level, changing the name wouldn't do anything. Our barriers are to do with the nature of what we are, regardless of what we call it. But by the other reason I flatly refuse to change our name is because 12, 13 years ago, when I had this idea for what began as a little side venture, more of a public service announcement, little website, makelovenotporn.com, and its original iteration was all copy, just copy, porn world versus real world. Anyway, I had this idea coming out of my personal experience, dating and having sex with younger men. So I went, you know, I want to do this because I, I feel the world needs this. And, and again, bear in mind, this was 12, 13 years ago. Nobody at the time was talking or writing about any of this. This was me out of my own personal experience going, I'm sure other people are encountering this. So I went, okay, I'm going to put this aside, Porn World versus Real World. I need to call it something. I need something short, soundbitey, punchy, something where the URL is available. Make love, not war, make love, not porn. That's about as much thought as went into that. Little did I realize back then, I now own the definitive call to action in this arena. Because every day, hundreds of young people hashtag make love, not porn across a whole host of social channels and think they're the very first person ever thought of saying that. And, and by the way, again, you know, it has all the advantages of a great brand name. The moment I tell people what I'm the founder of, everyone wants to know more. And also people get it pretty much immediately, you know, especially when I use our tagline, pro-sex, pro-porn, pro-knowing the difference. But there's also a huge side benefit, which again, 12, 13 years ago, I had no idea would turn out to be the case. Every day, all around the world, people search for us without knowing that we exist. Because the top search terms that drive people to us are make love, not porn, real sex, not porn, make love, not porn, when they don't know that there actually is a platform called make love, not porn. And that's because there is this huge appetite out there for what we do. If porn is the Hollywood movie, we are the real world documentary. You know, the, the reason amateur is the biggest growth sector in porn has nothing to do with porn. It has everything to do with the fact that everybody wants to know what everyone else is really doing in bed. And nobody does until now when that Make Love Not Porn was showing them. And so our name accidentally has been a real benefit in organic growth via search. And one young man told me that he found us when he Googled porn that is not porn because he was fed up with everything out there. 
He wanted something different. He had no idea what to search for. He Googled porn that is not porn. When you do that, you find Make Love Not Porn. Wonderful. Cindy, you're looking to raise $10 million. And I'm curious, when you raise that money, what's next? What are you going to do with that money to grow the business? So Make Love Not Porn has three barriers to growth. The first is lack of access to capital. The second is, as I've talked about, lack of access to infrastructure. And the third is lack of access to advertise. And this is because, for the benefit of our listeners, sex-related ventures are banned from advertising on social media and also on traditional channels, or rather, because there is a huge gender bias here, female sexual health and wellness ventures are banned from advertising. And, And that goes, by the way, not just for sex tech ventures like Make Love Not Porn, but female-founded startups that are addressing menstruation, menopause, fertility, are not allowed to advertise on Facebook and other social platforms, and also not allowed to advertise on the MTA New York subway billboards in this city. Whereas, and I'm sure you will have noticed this on social elsewhere, male sexual health and wellness platforms have no problem at all. Erectile dysfunction solutions, bring it on. Whether it's Levitra, Silas, Viagra, or in the sex tech, male sex tech space, um, Roman and Hymns, which is absolutely infuriating. And my fellow sex tech founders at Dame Products are suing the MTA here in New York for refusing to run their perfectly tasteful ads, more tasteful than the male erectile dysfunction solution ads that that the MTA has allowed to run on the subway. So the point about those three barriers is that solving the first one solves the other two. Because you'll be amazed how quickly those advertising barriers melt away the moment we write them a big enough check. And so I'm looking for serious funding to be able to, we've never been able to do paid for marketing promotion at that scale. It also solves the infrastructure piece because my dream with enough funding is to do what a number of other startups do, especially white male founded ones who have tens of millions of dollars showered on them by white male VCs, which is I would love to find and acquire the stripe of the future, by which I mean the fintech startup that gets what a massive revenue-generating opportunity, legal, ethical, transparent sex tech like Make Love Not Porn is, where we could then use that to process payments to Make Love Not Porn and white-label it for everybody else in sex tech. But even, even before both those considerations, I have to tell you, as and when I can raise this funding, I want to put the basics in place. And what I mean by that is... I have a tiny team of four people. I'm one of those. So I'm 25% of my entire workforce. You know, we outsource our tech development. And so my first order of business as and when I can raise that funding is actually to hire a full-time team. I'm wearing 18 hats, as you can probably imagine. I want to be able to hire a full team. I want to be able to bring tech development in-house, be able to hire a CTO and have our developers actually on the Make Love Not Porn team. And then basically... I want to use funding to solve our infrastructure and our marketing and advertising issues. And on the infrastructure piece, the infuriating thing is, if Make Love Not Porn could use PayPal, if we could use Stripe, we would triple our income overnight without doing anything else. That's how often members write to us to say, oh, you know, why don't you work with PayPal? I'd like to use PayPal. Or, you know, that's how often our members find their transactions flagged by their bank because we are using adult-specific payment processes that show up with an adult merchant code. If we could just have free and easy access to all of the things that every other tech startup takes for granted, life would be so much easier and we'd make money so much more quickly. Wow. Imagine that you've raised the 10 million, you have spent that money and you've created the results that you want. What does success ultimately look like for you and the business? Well, success is being the Facebook of social sex. And so what I mean by that is operating at that global scale. And incidentally, we've been global since day one. We have traffic and members from 184 countries. 
And whenever anybody writes about us in any country around the world, that country rockets to be number two in traffic after the US, no matter how tiny, by the way. You know, somebody wrote about us a few years ago in Serbia. Serbia's minuscule, whoosh, number two in traffic after the US. That summer, we got covered in Switzerland, also tiny, whoosh, number two in traffic. Earlier this year, somebody wrote about us in a newspaper in South Korea. And I woke up to South Korea as our number one source of traffic and accounting for 56% of all of our traffic. That's, again, how much people want us. And people write to us all the time from China, India, Brazil, and say, please launch a localized version. So we would operate at the same global scale as Facebook, translated. And what that would mean would be that we would have created this openness and honesty and normalization and socialization around sex in the real world that would be on its way to ending rape culture, because that that absolutely is our goal. And to give you an example of the kind of transformation that we are seeing already, and again, imagine this, you know, replicated at scale, but parents tell us that being members of Make Love Not Porn has actually made them feel able to be more open with their children about sex and talk about sex. And increasingly, parents tell us that they are actually buying Make Love Not Porn subscriptions for their teenage and 20-something children because they want them to see what open, healthy, loving sex looks like. And so equally, at the same scale as Facebook, we would have a dramatic impact on, quite frankly, people's happiness. I always say Make Love Not Porn operates in the biggest market of them all, not sex, not porn, the market of human happiness. Because, you know, I referenced earlier the fact that we could not be more relevant in the era of Me Too. Because right now, quite rightly, everybody is talking about consent. Everybody is writing about consent. Here's the problem. Nobody knows what consent actually looks like in bed. The only way you educate people as to what is great consensual communicative sex, good sexual values and behavior, is by watching people actually having that kind of sex. And Make Love Not Porn is the only place on the internet where you can do that. Every single one of our videos is an object lesson in consent, communication, good sexual behavior. We are literally education through demonstration. And so I can guarantee the world will be a much happier place when Make Love Not Porn is able to have that impact at scale. People are able to communicate to each other about sex. People are operating good sexual values and good sexual behavior. And that is massively emotionally and practically and societally transformative. What I'd love to do, Anna, if it's okay, is I'd love to just share with you one email that a man wrote to us at the end of last year. And as I read this, I want to say, imagine this impact at scale. And one of the things I love about this email is I designed Make Love Not Porn to be a mass market mainstream brand. And this gentleman, as you will hear, is a blue collar worker, which is terrific because I always say, my target audience is a horny 16-year-old boy in Minnesota. Because if we don't get to him, he's going straight to Pornhub and Stamer. So this email arrived, and it was headed, this has helped. And this man writes, so usually when people give feedback, they say, I don't normally do this. This is actually true for me to write an actual email, and I apologize if I may be long. I found out about your website via a story on playboy.com. I've been an avid reader of Playboy for almost 15 years now. I'm 35 years old and a very single straight male working at a factory in a very small town in, and we don't identify, we just say, the American Midwest. As I've gotten older, the one thing I've felt I've been missing is some type of connection when viewing porn. My habits have always been go to Pornhub, search a video, boom, done. That changed when I was watching one of the videos on here. I don't think I've ever seen something that I was so taken aback by. It was intimate. It was two people you saw an actual connection with. It made me question my own viewing habits right now, which is a good thing I feel in terms of growth. I also feel the need to speak about the need for males like myself to talk about how they feel. I feel like for the first time, I want to confront my own issues with sex and my own sexual health, which in all honesty is not good at all. Dating has been non-existent for years mainly due to me being so busy for most of my life with working three jobs to survive that I never got a chance like I do now to try to understand why. All of this came about with your website. I'm very grateful to kind of start a new journey here, to try to understand myself more. 
I want to thank you guys for this. I felt this has been a nice wake-up call. Thanks again. Wow. Right? Absolutely. Imagine that at the scale of Facebook. It's starting a whole new conversation for men. And you've already touched upon just how important it is to start that conversation very early on with teenage boys. And also girls, by the way. I mean, you know, we're utterly gender equal because girls grow up as influenced by porn, as sex said, in the absence of anything else, as boys do. Right. And unfortunately, by porn through the male lens, which is what the vast majority that you are exposed to on the tube sites is. Yes. Goodness. I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about female investors, female and diverse investors, right? We know we need them. We need more of them. We need them to be really active. What's been your experience along your journey in engaging with female investors, talking to them? And how, if you have, and when you have, how has that experience been different? So first of all, I would have loved Make Love Not Porn to be funded by women. Unfortunately, the female investors I've talked to have had the same issue as most of the men, which is fear of what other people will think. So will not touch me with a barge pole. And in fact, slightly depressingly, this past year, I've actually seen a lot more investor interest in Make Love Not Porn, but everybody I've talked to has been male. You know, and by the way, I will take the money anywhere I can find it. But I find that a bit depressing. Here's the thing about female investors. First of all, Less women have the assets to invest than men do. As you would expect in a patriarchal society and in male-dominated industries, the money is being predominantly made by men who then invest in other men. So issue number one with women is we need women with an absolute ton of money who want to invest it, and there aren't enough of them. The second is there actually are a lot of women with a lot of money but they don't necessarily have the investor mindset. Because again, we are not brought up as women in the same way that men are to think about money and what you do with it. And so there are undoubtedly a ton of very rich women out there. And being straightforward, there are a lot of wives of wealthy men or widows of wealthy men who have a ton of assets, but they are not thinking great opportunity to go and fund female founders. There is a third issue, which I have encountered myself, and female friends of more conventional ventures have encountered more often. And this, this is especially depressing. But when you are a female investor with money and an investment mindset, you quite often have a spouse, a partner, a male partner. And what happens is that you say to your partner, oh, darling, I'm thinking of investing in blah, 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 blah. And they go, oh, my God, you don't want to do that. <laughs> And they don't. And, and I've absolutely had that happen to me. You know, I, I talked to a woman who was interested in investing and said she thought her husband might be as well. He, you know, had a fund with, with some friends and she was wildly enthused. And she obviously went away and talked to him. And then, you know, when she came back, the conversation was completely different and we did not progress. And it was very clear that he had, you know, severely dampened her enthusiasm, which was infuriating. So here's the infuriating thing also, because obviously in a scenario where female founders are not getting funded, a number of female founded funds have sprung up to address this. But they have exactly the same issue, as I know, talking to my friends who are partners in female founded funds. LPs don't want to invest in them either. So, I mean, they have trouble. You know, the, the people who will put a ton of money into white male VC partnered funds will not put that money into female founded and diverse founded funds. And so there's a huge mindset shift that all of us are working to make happen that makes people understand that the inferior thing about this, um, incidentally, is that it's not about creating a rational mindset shift. It's about creating an emotional mindset shift because the facts and figures have been there for decades. Female founders exit faster. Female founders burn less cash. Female founders get to profitability quicker. Female founders build better business cultures. And by the way, that's because female founders don't get sued for sexual harassment. But facts and figures, rational arguments don't mean a thing. in a world where what we experience at the top of every industry and in the investment world is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. If facts and figures mattered, all of that that says diversity drives better business, we'd see a very different picture. 
And so we all have to work to shift that mindset emotionally. The good news is, I'm sure you're familiar with this statistic, is that by 2025 in the UK, women will own 60% of private wealth. There's a massive transfer of wealth that's taking place as we speak. It's actually astounding that we're not talking about this more. However, to your point, there does need to be that education and that support in women stepping into a position where they know that they can invest in all of these different ways, right? And by the way, female founders, female entrepreneurs are in desperate need of investment. And that will benefit not just their business, but society, because as we know, women build businesses that's very much based around their own experience, as you've talked about, Cindy, that is hugely underserved and underinvested in the market. So it's a huge opportunity. We desperately need to make those connections between the women who are in possession of these assets of funding that can then channel that into businesses like yours. Absolutely. I mean, as you will have heard me say in the past, there is a huge amount of money to be made out of taking women seriously. And the issue is, you're absolutely right about the transfer of wealth, but it's about getting those women then to think about how they use it. And honestly, there has to be something to accelerate that process. But because bear in mind, also depressingly, those women with those assets are having to deal with male wealth managers, male finance managers male bank managers, you know, um, there are so many barriers that obstruct a woman's ability to see what she could be doing with her assets and then do it. You know, I'd love to see a UK-wide advertising campaign that was absolutely designed to say to women, fund other women. Yeah. Well, let's do it, Cindy. (laughs) I will happily act as an advisor, you know, whoever wants to get behind that and fund it. But I mean, I mean, I actually think that's the kind of initiative that getting a ton of female founded and diverse funds behind would be worth everybody putting in some money to make it happen. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think we should do it. Yeah. You know, and again, I'm sure you've heard me say this in the past, but, but, but the point I make is, I've been saying this for literally decades now, I say to women, I want you to unashamedly set out to make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money. <laughs> and I explained that I deliberately articulate it like that because that is how much money I want us all to make. Yeah. And I explain that I want you to make that money, not just for yourself, although I very much want you to do it for yourself, but also because when we make an absolute goddamn fucking shit ton of money, we can then use that money to fund other women, to support other women, help other women, donate to other women. We need to build our own financial ecosystem because the white male one isn't working for us. Hear, hear. And you've talked about the fact that you're also raising an inclusive fund. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Back when I was trying to, and and failing, trying to raise my last round of funding for Make Love Not Porn, it was so challenging. And as you recall, I said that I was deliberately there for defining and championing my own category sex deck. And, you know, I started off doing that basically to, to try and get investors to feel that I was a legitimate investment opportunity. But a couple of accidental things happened. The first was that as I began demarcating and defining sex tech, I began seeing for myself the enormous potential within it, not least financially. And and the second thing that happened was I gained a reputation as a global champion of sex tech. And sex tech fans began writing to me from all around the world. I hear from about one a day at the moment. And they write because they have all the same problems I do. Can't get funded, can't make payments in place. And I realized that I had extraordinary access to unique sex tech deal flow. And so that was the point at which I went, okay, in order to get my own startup funded, I'm going to have to get the entire category funded. And so in a seemingly counterintuitive move, because I couldn't raise $2 million to scale Make Love Not Porn, I decided I wanted to raise $200 million to start the world's first and only sex tech fund. Because if nobody else was going to do it, then I would. And I'm very open about the fact this was an act of desperation and a last resort. I couldn't get funded any other way I was going to have to fund myself. And I began absolutely making that real. But then my original investor, Make Love Not Porn, stepped in. He was so frustrated with the lack of investors, he put the $2 million up himself. 
And so I had to part the sex tech fund, but I absolutely intend to go back to it as of when I can raise my next round of funding and get a full team in place, because there is huge potential. I have a vision for sex tech that nobody else does. And so I very much want to make that happen one of these days. When you raise that fund, Cindy, how will you allocate that capital? So I have a dual investment thesis. My sex tech fund, the name derives from a quote by Chairman Mao, who famously said many years ago, in the interest of gender equality, women hold up half the sky. I think that's relatively unambitious. My sex tech fund is called All the Sky Holdings. And by the way, for our listeners, if you go to alltheskyholdings.com, you'll find a holding basic website there. And I want to fund two things. The first is radically innovative sex tech ventures founded by women. Because the most interesting things in sex if they're coming from female founders, we are finally owning our sexuality, finding unique ways to leverage it in business terms, because we get, you know, as you referenced earlier, the enormous market that is women's needs, wants and desires, historically deemed too embarrassing, shameful or taboo to address. And by the way, tap that huge primary market, you tap a huge secondary market of extremely happy men. And the second area I want to fund is every business obstacle I encounter is a huge disruptive business opportunity in itself. I want to fund the infrastructure of sex tech, what I'm calling sex tech full stack. Because, as I mentioned earlier, the first payment processor that embraces legal, ethical, transparent sex tech ventures like mine cleans up. The first hosting provider, the first e-commerce platform. I want to fund the ecosystem of sex tech to do three things. A, to create a self-sustaining portfolio for all the sky, because any venture I fund would need all of this. B, to be a bloody huge revenue generator, because every single sex tech venture all around the world, plus the entire adult industry needs this. And C, and I use the Peter Thiel term here deliberately, to monopolistically build out and own the entire underlying ecosystem to make sex tech the next trillion dollar category in tech. I love how ambitious that is. It's phenomenal. Thank you. The pandemic, we have to touch upon this. It's obviously impacted and changed the startup landscape, especially for female founders. What's your view on this and what's happening right now? My view is adversity drives opportunity. So the pandemic, and by the way, the Black Lives Matter protests, which were global, both of those things mean the world will never be the same again. And that is actually very good news, especially for those of us who are never the status quo to begin with. Because it is only when things break down this utterly and completely, that allows new models and new ways of doing things to emerge that never would have otherwise. And so what I'm saying to everybody is that right now there are two dynamics at play. There is what the pandemic and the protests are making happen as we speak, which is the breakdown of the old world order. But then on top of that, there's a dynamic of what each one of us does when we leverage that and seize the opportunity to make what we want to happen happen. And so I think this is a phenomenal time for female founders to, again, as I said earlier, make the world fit to you, not the other way around. So true. Now, I'm curious about how you're thinking about the world of investing in 2021. There's there's quite a lot going on. And if you're comfortable to share with the listeners as well, how do you personally invest your money in general terms? I I wish I had money to invest. Um, I put everything I have into my own startup. Love not porn. I've had to, unfortunately. Yeah. And by the way, you know, I want to make an absolute god on fucking shit ton of money because obviously I'm dying to fund female founders myself. You know, I can't bloody wait. So, you know, I'm not the person to to speak to that specifically. But 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 what I will say is, and again, I just want to make sure our listeners understand this. What is utterly infuriating at the moment is that in the tech world, which is you know my context, last year. Everything that happened did not impact investors and funding. It's been so frothy. People have talked of it as a bubble. All that froth, all that bubble has only gone one way. Yet more white male VCs funding yet more white male founders. Last year here in the US, and I believe this is absolutely replicated globally, funding female founders 
with venture capital dropped to the lowest it's been in several years. You know, it's down to, I think, 2% or maybe even under of, of all venture funded companies are female founded. And that is clearly because in times of stress, people revert to what is familiar. Pattern matching, white bros feel really comfortable funding white bros. We have to break that paradigm. And it's why I said earlier, we have to affect an emotional mindset shift because it doesn't matter how many female founded funds get started. They don't have the colossal amount of capital that all the white male partnered funds do. And we have to find a way to channel that to female founders, black female founders, of color female founders, black founders and of color founders generally, because white men get funded on potential. White women get funded on proof and not even then, and black women don't get funded. Mm. And so we've got to change this for all of us. We absolutely do. I have to ask you, though, Cindy, what's your position on Bitcoin and the crypto market? Well, first of all, I'm actually kicking myself for not having bought Bitcoin back in the day because the moment I realized all the barriers I was going to face building Make Love Not Porn, I explored the entire world of fintech. And I began talking to the Bitcoin and crypto community years ago because I was so desperate for any kind of alternative payment solution. And the issue there was with a very nascent sector, in Make Love Not Porn's tiny bootstrapping scenario, we can only work with plug and play solutions and nothing in Bitcoin was plug and play back then. And actually, it still is not to the degree that, that we would need it to be. So I am enormously interested in Bitcoin, in, in crypto. I will tell you what I said when I spoke at Crypto Springs 18 months ago, which is the wonderful crypto summit that was founded by Melton Demiroz of CoinShares and Elizabeth Stark of Lightning Labs, two amazing leading female lights in crypto. I said to the community there, you have to tell your story better because you only mainstream Bitcoin usage, the public's understanding of cryptocurrency, when you are able to sell yourself and tell your story in a way that is easily understandable and everyday. And that is a responsibility for the community as a whole, which it, it has not yet achieved and will actually realize potential much more quickly when it does. But I obviously monitor that whole world very closely. And, you know, I'm looking all the time for opportunities whereby at some point make love not porn can leverage it. Yes, I think there's enormous potential there, leveraging blockchain and obviously Bitcoin as well. Now, just to wrap up, Cindy, you shared so much with us today, so much to think about. But what message do you have for women, including female founders and female investors who want to build their wealth? I think what I would say, first of all, is just feel free to have a really big vision, because at the end of the day, that's what gets funded. And we will make sure that it gets funded for female founders as much as it does for men. So have a very big vision. You know, don't be afraid to have a big vision of what you want to achieve. And when you have that vision, and, and this is something I say to women all the time, I want you to take that vision and go out there and bullshit like the men do. And I feel very comfortable telling you to bullshit like the men do, because it doesn't matter how much you think you're bullshitting, you will never, ever bullshit at the level men do. When you are doing what you think is bullshitting, all you're doing is you are actually finally doing yourself justice, because women do not talk themselves and their visions up enough. And so... I would encourage everybody to go out there and bullshit like the men do. <laughs> the reason I characterize the way I do bullshit like the men do is because when you think about it like that, it's actually very liberating and freeing because you don't take it as seriously. You think, right, I'm going to bullshit like the men do. You can have some fun with it. And actually, when you start doing that, when you give yourself permission to talk yourself up, You'd be amazed how much that uncovers, A, about the full potential of what you want to do, and B, how you feel a whole lot better about yourself doing it. Cindy, I want to acknowledge you. You are a pioneer in so many respects. 
And for so many years, you have continued on this path, right, as a female cultural entrepreneur. And you helped to voice so much of what perhaps women and, and underestimated founders who are not the default, perhaps they're not in a position to say or express. And so I want to say thank you. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet of you. I, re- I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast and, and sharing everything that you have. I'm a firm believer that you will raise this money and obviously the money that you need for your fund. It's about finding people who share your values and are just as fearless and courageous as, as you are. Now, if listeners want to find you, if they want to connect with you, where should they go? So first of all, listeners, if you like what you've heard, please do support me by going to makelovenotporn.tv, signing up and subscribing, because that would really help me take out a subscription to my startup. Also consider becoming a Make Love Not Porn star, because we would love as many of you as, as wish to, to do that. You can be totally anonymous, by the way, wear masks, faces in shadow. The minute you don't want your videos up, we take them down, et cetera, et cetera. You can find me and Make Love Not Porn at Cindy Gallup at Make Love Not Porn on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Cindy.gallop on Facebook. Our Make Love Not Porn page on Facebook is MLNP TV. And you can follow me on LinkedIn. And by the way, if anybody knows any investors who get Make Love Not Porn and might want to fund us, Cindy at MakeLoveNotPorn.com. You heard it right here. Cindy, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.